One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Hey everyone, welcome to the 397th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by a bunch of patrons. Josh Baszler, Robert Jones, Sarab Chakraborty, Sarah Demistri, Jennifer Liao, Ryan Valdez, Max Goldberg, George Ketsios, and Sean Paul Cardamon. Thanks everyone. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got Ira Rosenzweig back on the show. We had him way back in episode 145. He is an awesome director. He does a ton of promos, ton of commercials, and he's got a new feature coming out called Share that is available November 10th on VOD and also in select theaters. If this sounds like an interesting movie to you, go check it out. It might be in your town. But it's certainly on your internet, iTunes, Voodoo, Prime, all of the places that you watch and rent new movies. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really interesting. It's got it. The performances are awesome. The main guy, Melvin Bragg, is is really, really great. I wasn't super familiar with him. And then Bradley Whitford is in it from West Wing and a million other things. The rest of the cast is awesome, too. And the entire movie is told from fixed camera angles, four fixed camera angles. And it's really kind of interesting the way he... He addresses it. You'll hear more about it in the episode. But before we talk to Ira, Matt, did you enjoy our live show? Are we going to do any more? Yeah, it was so fun. I feel like every time we do a live show, we're like, oh, we got to get one going again right away. And I think the turnout was really awesome. The vibes were great. Uh, Our guests were awesome. Thank you to Mercedes Mason, Chelsea Stardust, Jim Cummings, and Leroy Coons. They were also great. And everyone who showed up. Um, it was cool to see everyone. Yeah, we got free pizza. We got gave away a camera. Thank you, Fresh Brothers. Thank you, Black Magic. I was gonna say, Warren, I don't think we shut it down. I think there were people hanging out after we left. Really? Yeah. And even though all the lights were off and we took that, all that the audio I think out of there. We kicked them out of the house and then they were hanging out on the like the sidewalk. Yeah, that's crazy. No, it was really fun. Please DM us or email us at justshootapod at gmail.com or tweet at us or whatever. Let us know if uh, you didn't make it to the show, if you would make it to a future show. If you did make it, let us know if you were into it and if we should do more. I had a really good time, personally. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, It was honestly like an incredibly stressful couple of weeks in my life, and it was one of the highlights of those weeks. So Yeah, a little reward at the end of a long, long week. My other thing I was going to tell you before we... Talk to Ira and maybe plug our Patreon. You know how it is as a director. You basically just say yes to everything until you're booked on set. So someone asked if I wanted to be a judge in a student film competition. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I said, yes, who knows, months ago. (laughs) And now, of course, they're all, I have to judge all of them by tomorrow. I still have two more to watch. Just two uh, quick observations. One So basically they're split up. There's like a hundred films and they split it up into different groups and each group is watching 10 films and then we'll all come together and watch the finalists of the 10 films I had to watch. A couple of them were five minutes and six minutes and a couple of them were like 17 and 14 minutes. And of course I just started with the five and six minute ones, you know? So I don't know if that helps or hurts, but like the bar is set by the short films because I'm just trying to like watch as many movies as possible and I get some satisfaction from watching the short ones. And, that runtime, like I remember when my friend submitted a 20 minute film to Sundance and we talked to Mike Plant, who programs the Sundance films. And we're like, this is a really good film. Why didn't you program it? And he's like, it's 20 minutes. It's like I could program four or five minute films in that same amount of time. And it was the first time where I was like, oh, I guess the, the length affects your chances of getting into a festival, even in a shorts program. Um, but yeah, a 20 minute film needs to be really good <laughs> and a five minute yeah. film should be pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, if a five minute film needs to be really good too, but you can have two really good five minute films 
or one 10 minute film right yeah i, I like 12 minutes to, it to me is kind of a sweet spot as well 12 minutes might as well be 10 minutes yeah i will say i'm seeing like these themes and i wonder if it's like i think most of the filmmakers are gen z Mm-hmm. A lot of them are about loneliness, which is mm-hmm. is interesting to me. And I wonder if it's like kind of the problem of the new generation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's like so many think pieces about like how, you know, they're all on their phones all the time. And so like a lot of major social interactions are happening later. They're learning to, lie, to drive later. They're learning to like date and like hook up later. Like a lot of rites of passage have been delayed because of, with the pandemic and then also just like social media media yeah and technology yeah so that's interesting the other thing just a little word of advice this is just super subjective just my opinion but so many of them like i couldn't quite tell what they were about you know because they they were just so vague it's just people with emotions but very little specificity you know about what they're sad about or what is going on or what and it's just like I just can't. You oftentimes will make like off uh, offhand jokes about like what film student films are like, Uh and they're almost always a little wrong in my experience. And that's, I think it's more film students tend to make stuff like that, right? Where it's just like there's less specificity. Specificity. Yeah. 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 They're getting at something. They're aiming for something good. And they're trying to say something, but they don't know how to say it yet. Yeah, because each film, I watch the film, but also they write like a little description of what the film's about, like what Mm -hmm. it's really about, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, wow, I did not get that from watching this film. Like how many, I think in this episode, you made a joke about like uh, film students wanting to make gangster movies. How many gangster movies have you watched in that block? There's one, one more film. Oh, okay, one. Great, okay. A war, like a World War II, like people crawling through jungles, you know, but it's really like, it really feels like, you know, the woods yeah. in Griffith Park or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that, I, that I'm so into. But it was actually pretty well done. But oh, yeah, it's cool. But it's like, you know, just these, some of the topics are just like a little surfacey, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be like about PTSD or about like it's a amnesia or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's if it's like a more of a movie thing than a real life thing, you know, mm-hmm. not not that neither one of those things are real, but they're just in real life. They're just much more nuanced, you know, and in a five minute film, they're just so like one note. I don't know. So my advice is just be specific. And like like of the 10, I watched two of them are comedies and I was just so happy, even if they're not funny. I'm just just like, don't don't be a bummer all. Is, you yeah, know, yeah. like I, you don't have to make a downer of a film every time. You're reminding me. I remember I made a short film in high school that effectively was a pie ripoff. Uh-huh. Aronofsky, yes. Black and white film pie. Because we all love. I mean, how many people pie. were ripping off Wes Anderson at your, in yeah. your USC film class? Yeah. yeah. Well, he wasn't popular enough yet. Like, you know, that was, that, that was before Royal Tannenbaum's. I went to the Royal Tannenbaum's premiere in college. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I've made a, a pie ripoff about a kid who like, I can't remember what his problem was, but the stakes essentially were like, you won't get to go to college. Mm-hmm. And that's a, just a perfect example of like, I like movies and I like aesthetics and I want, I'm going to pick the movie that has the loudest, most overt aesthetic I've ever seen in my life. And I'm going to try and do that the same way people love, Tim Burton and Wes Anderson. I love all those filmmakers, but like you see, you're like, what style? Oh, that's the most overt version of it. I'll go for that. And then you kind of try to graft on, you know, a story that maybe you can relate to, or maybe you think is supposed to be good, quote unquote, or you're, you don't know how to process your emotions. And that's, that's those early experiments. Yeah. And I have no, I mean, I, I appreciate when people make movies about the things they are experiencing. Like one, there was a one filmmaker and she, she's in the army in real life. Um, and now she's a film student and she made a movie. It wasn't about being in the army, but it was about, about the experience of being part of a group, but not really feeling like, like you fit in, you know? And I was like that, like, 
when I read about her, it made me like the movie more. Like I, I like the mm. personal connection and it's fine if it's about getting into college or whatever, but yeah, just a lot of them are, they're so worried about being overt and on the nose that you never have any idea what they're about. And the other interesting trend that is, was not at all popular when I think you and I started making film is a lot of these movies are in four by three. It's crazy. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. I'm also seeing crazy. a lot of DP, like younger DPs with a lot of four by three work on their websites. And have you reels. shot four by three? Well, I mean, you shot one by one which is pretty close. Yeah, but it obviously never, like we're always framed for 16 by nine, yeah, and keep it safe for one by one. You Well, you also didn't have like the backyard. Did you like make backyard movies when you were a kid? Yeah, I had, literally had a camera that recorded on VHS tapes. Sure, yeah, yeah, there you go. And I had yeah. a Sony PD-150. I mean, I shot standard sure, def for, sure. for years. Right, but, but what mini I'm saying DV. Is, well, so mini DV. We would do, you, they, you can do the pixel box. aspect ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, you, everybody who started with like a home camcorder, you start four by three. And so whenever I've had the occasion to compose for that, it does take me back in a funny way. Like there is something really awesome about that aspect ratio. Like I get why it's appealing to people. And obviously it's like a novelty to young people who have the privilege of being able to choose between the two. I did, you know, I did the VFX for Come On, Come On, and that was shot in 4x3, and I was like, oh, weird. And then it was kind of like the beginning of that trend. Yeah, yeah, such a treat. So fun. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, anyway, let's talk to Ira. Before we talk to him, I just want to remind people we have a Patreon, patreon.com, slash just shoot a pod. Last live show, Patreon's got guaranteed tickets. So to be honest, we tried to accommodate everyone that wanted to come to the show, but... We love our patrons that keep this podcast going. They pay our editor. They help us continue to make the show. Give us motivation. Ira mentioned us off the mic that we're potentially one of the top filmmaking podcasts. And we made the point that that's because we've kept it going for eight years and no one there have been. There's a handful of podcasts that have been going for as long as we have. Um, And it's because of our Patreon and our patrons. So thank you so much. Patreon.com slash just shoot a pod. With that being said, let's jump into our conversation with Ira Rosenzweig. Hello, we're here with Ira Rosenzweig. How you doing? Hey guys, I'm, I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me. Great. It's been a couple hundred episodes since we had you <laughs> on. So it's good to hear your voice. 252 episodes ago. Look at that math. Congratulations. On what? On on so many episodes. We don't need to have like a an even like hundred to, to be congratulated. I think you could you deserve it. Okay. So uh, you have a new movie coming out. Is it is it out today? It is out tomorrow, uh, November 10th. Um, and it's called Share. Um, and it will be out on um video on demand and select theaters across the country. Okay, so tell us about your movie. Sure. So as I said, it's called Share, uh, with a question mark actually at the end. It's not a documentary about the singer share <laughs> oh i had that same problem with my movie it was called hamill and everyone thought it was about dorothy hamill or mark <laughs> hamill and it wasn't all right if you made a share movie you'd have to call it life after love or like or do you believe or do you go do you believe or just believe something in parentheses bonnie yeah, and yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah is a question mark like in your title have you had any issues with that like from a indexing itunes like any of that stuff delivery it's actually helpful because there's a couple other movies i guess over the years that have been released called share and if you put in just share it's not necessarily first but if you put in share question mark you get it immediately yeah it's like adding a middle initial to your name as an actor exactly yes but the there, there is a there is a good reason for it um basically so the movie is um Plot wise, if I had to describe it, I would say it's about a man who wakes up naked and alone in a room that kind of resembles what you might consider like a futuristic jail cell. This is an autobiography, right? Yes, yes, yes. It's, I mean, kind of. Anyway, so uh, he, he realizes aside from a toilet, a sink and a shower, the only thing he has in this room is like a 1980s style computer terminal in the wall. And um, realizes that's the only way he can communicate with anyone on the outside. He doesn't know who. He doesn't know 
if he's just communicating with a computer, but he is at least getting some feedback from it. And so little by little, he realizes that by performing actions and kind of trying to entertain what is whatever is out there, um, he gets rewarded. Uh, and with these rewards, he's able to buy, he get kind of, let's call them credits. He earns credits that he can buy things to live in this place. And so um, little by little, he then realizes it's not just him in this predicament. There's a society of people out there just like him. And so the movie is, uh, I, I would guess I'd call it a thinly veiled allegory about social media and our relationship to technology, but it's kind of wrapped up in what I hope is a, an entertaining um, sci-fi thriller package. Right. It's like uh, The Circle meets Cube. The Circle is which movie again? Uh, no, The Circle is a reality program. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. On Netflix. Oh, where people are trying where, to catfish uh, each other. Pe- people are all in, they're all in a different apartment building. Like, uh, and they're just chatting with each other. Okay. <laughs> oh, I think I did. I think these, I might have seen. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very stupid on social media. They're just essentially you're just watching people text each other, and some of them are who they say they are, and some of them aren't. And at the at the end of it, each episode, they vote for who's most popular, and the least popular. Is that today's unpaid endorsement? Or like, <laughs> no, oh, I've endorsed it already. I've endorsed it already. <laughs> okay. Now, Ira, okay. I think you told me that the whole script was written by Chad GPT, right? Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, the, there was there was some human input but it was mostly chat sure sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. no we actually started writing it so um i developed it with ben Suter, um and uh, i guess we started talking about it maybe five or maybe even six years ago mm-hmm. um and we couldn't crack it we were working on it we're trying to cram like too many ideas into it and i think we just kind of put it away we were like you know maybe we'll come back to it and then the pandemic hit uh, mm-hmm. and the same, on the same day I had like two kind of like Eureka ideas. I think both hit in the shower, like literally eight minutes apart from each other, but it was like, I, th- you know, I was seeing how people, um, were filming things at the time, like shipping different pieces of equipment to actors and they were like assembling it. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is like the last thing you want to have actors do and then get on camera after they're so frustrated by this experience and then act. So, um, I was like, I think we can invent like a really cool, uh, really professional quality remote camera system. And so I developed crew in a box over the next few months. But at the same time, I was like, wait a minute, I can use this remote camera system to film share like share is like the perfect movie to make in a pandemic because everybody is physically isolated already i had a weirdly busy pandemic but um yeah made crew in a box and then um you know we wrote the script and very quickly got it out and started shopping it around you were saying you had a really busy pandemic and i'm assuming it's because of crew in a box you basically were one of the first people at least that i saw (laughs) that you know there are a lot of companies kind of working on solutions for remote filming but you kind of had this like box (laughs) device well Oren and i are fielding like i I feel like probably around the time you were making it i feel like i was like can i cast Oren and his family (laughs) right so that Oren will shoot something like it like literally we were looking for like like dp families was oftentimes an ask people were like you only have a 5d mark ii what's wrong with you or or even like, oh, no, we can drop a camera off, but you still, the solution was have someone in this bubble who can shoot, basically. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that was one way, you know, agencies were trying to skin the cat, but like. Yeah, a, it's most, a terrible plan. Yeah, most of the time it was like, hey, let's like uh, ship a camera, a tripod, uh, mm-hmm. you know, microphones, lights, and like have celebrities actually like film themselves and i was just like, or even oh, more common was like let's send them an iphone that too but i was like, yeah, yeah. you know that unfortunately i was like bad sound quality bad image quality and a bevy of other issues and i was just like there's got to be a way that we can put everything together and make it seamless and kind of plug and play where you send someone this a lot of people were calling what they were doing kits because they had to be you know put together but ours was all contained in a box so just ship a case they open the case plug it in we get control of every single thing in it and we're able to film fairly seamlessly. Was it literally a pandemic movie where were we out of the pandemic by the time you guys were shooting? So when we were sending the script out, it was the the height of COVID and like everything was completely shut down. And so in the back of the script, I wrote like a page each about like two different approaches. One was literally 
We're going to send the, there are four main actors in the movie. We're going to send each of them a crew in a box. We're going to build sets, very simplistic sets in their garage. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to direct remotely and everyone's going to be in their house. Mm-hmm. The other plan was like, if things come back to normal, like we will build three sets on a stage, three identical sets. Um, and this is what we ended up doing, thankfully, because the former directing remotely would have been a nightmare. Um, but we built three sets on a stage. And because of the way, like, so I want I, my pitch to actors was like, this is going to be a really enjoyable theater like experience because like you're going to be acting full scenes out in real time with people in the same place, just you're just physically isolated. And I said, and they were like, okay, that sounds cool. How are we going to do that? I would say, look, we're going to, we haven't figured this out yet, but we're going to build a system out of teleprompters, basically turning them into interatrons. Um, Mm -hmm. So if anyone's not familiar with, with an interatrons, basically the idea I think is, you know, uh, Earl Morris came up with it for his documentaries where it's a, you're using two way glass, like a teleprompter, but instead of reading words off of it, you're actually projecting somebody's face usually on it. So you can look directly into your subject or, you know, interviewer's face and still be looking into the camera at the same time. So right. you that, basically connect your camera's video feed to a teleprompter, right? Exactly. And so um, I was like, we're going to do that, but we're going to do it. So in the movie, the idea was that we were going to shoot through each character's uh, theoretical like monitor in the wall and the same, we would have the same, uh, viewpoint for each character. And essentially that would be, make it, uh, this is how we're marketing the movie. Although I don't, I don't know if you can call it marketing because there's probably 10 people in the world who were like, Oh, I want to see it because of this. But like, we're saying it's basically the first movie ever made from one fixed camera angle. I was calling all these VTR people and explaining what I was trying to do. And all of them would just like hang up on me. Like, this is crazy. You have no money. How do you expect to do this? And I found this guy, his name is Sean Nushenfar, um, who was working on the Avatar sequels. And he was like, this sounds really interesting. Let's try it out. And so he would like shuttle back and forth from like my, you know, ultra low budget set to Avatar and then come <laughs> back. I mean, it was really we he we built this like really awesome system where not only were you know the the Interatron set up, but also there's all this text throughout the movie that the characters are interacting with the computer and that was also lot happening live. So like, it felt like we tried to make it as immersive as possible for Wait, all. Wait, really? That. How did you yeah. put text on the screen live? So it's the same principles as uh, how we put the image of each actor on. Um, it's just that we were, we created in premiere, well, we created an after effects, just like a temporary version of the scrolling text. And there was somebody activating it every time mm-hmm a character went to type something in. So then what we did that all kind of a previs, and then we went back in post and redid everything. Wow. But the islands all matched and the rate at which they're reading or, exactly. or interacting with the text matches. Yeah. Right. Awesome. But then I had a whole thing where it's like, I convinced myself going into this, that like, this is going to be the easiest movie to edit because like, I'm going to do full takes of a scene. We're going to do it a number of times. I'm going to pick my favorite, take mm-hmm. and I, you know because it's all all the and cameras probably be, be most of what you use yeah exactly yeah, however yeah. i should have known myself and literally i was like well i like the first five seconds from this take and the next 10 seconds from this take and so it became super complicated because not only are you editing different takes together and trying to get performances and blocking to match but you're also like I can never cut away from a character because there's all like when two characters are talking to each other, if they're not the main thing on the screen, they're smaller on the, they're in one of these picture in picture windows. So I had to figure out like I, I ended up coming up with ways like glitching the video, like if something wouldn't cut. And so then I ended up putting in a ton of glitches. So you would never suspect like that was an editing technique. But like, yeah, it was it was incredibly difficult to edit together. Yeah, I mean, I know you, when you talked to us about your work as a commercial director, you talked about how you try to basically get every edit you can because you yeah. feel like that's an important part of the process. Um, right. And yeah, and then you made this movie that's one shot. Uh, I mean, it's different characters, right? So you're cutting back and forth, but. Right. Well, the first 15 minutes of the movie, it's literally one character on screen mm-hmm. just by himself. Well, and one camera, one angle. Yes. What yeah. lens did you use? We, so we shot on red monstros and 
we use vintage lenses. I forget the exact name of the lens, but I think we went we're with like on a 20 or a 22. Were you scared? Like I, I would yeah. never have the guts to do that whole thing and then not just shoot like a quick insert. You know? I was so scared. I mean, I literally, I was like, it, it was basically the way I think about it, it's like directing with both hands behind your back. Like you literally have no tricks, like it, moving a camera, not even during a shot, just like getting a different size shot is like, it's what directing is. Right. So it's like, it was incredibly daunting, but like also so exciting to, to do it for me because number one, it was just like kind of the novelty of it. I was just like, has anyone ever done this before? And there's probably a reason no one's done this before. And I can tell you that when we were pitching the script, there were a lot of people who were like, we love the script, explain to us how you're going to make it. And I'd be like, so yeah, there, we're never going to change angles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's going to be one character on the screen for the first 15 minutes. We're going to be jump cutting between and the text throughout the entire movie is going to be backwards. They would, if I was looking at them on a zoom, they'd look at me like I was completely out of my mind and say, nice to meet you. Goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, but we finally found some amazing producers who, who got the money together and, um, yeah, they believed in the vision and, you know, I'm, I have to say I'm really gratified by how it came together. Like it, it's one of those things where like it actually turned out better than I thought it would in my mind. And that never, ever happens. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And so um, just a stupid question, but sure. why did you want to shoot it from one angle? I, <laughs> that's, that's probably like a, something I need to examine with a therapist, but, um, I, I don't know. I've always been like, I love, you know, I love movies. I, I've loved movies for a long time. When I was younger, I, I I don't love his newer stuff so much, but I was always drawn to like Lars von Trier movies. And like, mm-hmm. you know, when he make like the five obstructions or like the whole dogma thing, whether it was him or someone else. Sure. Um, I always thought it was so interesting to limit yourself in a certain way. And that kind of breeds invention a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I'm in my forties. I hadn't made a film yet. And I was getting, I was trying to, you know, my, my body of work was comedy. It was, you know, I was making all these comedic commercials, um, which I really enjoyed, but I didn't get into the business to do that. And so, um, I'd really wanted to make something like interesting and challenging, um, and dramatic. And I just felt like this was a really great opportunity to not only do something like thematically and story-wise interesting. I was just like, I guess it was, there was something about the degree of difficulty and just the idea of doing something novel. And I wanted to try it. Honestly, it really, it, 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 it was out of necessity at first. Cause when we were writing the script, you know, it wasn't initially planned like, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to be in this locked off camera. It was going to be shot traditionally, but then it was like, okay, this is a way we can get it done during the pandemic. And then I started thinking about it. And when things were starting to ease up, I was like, Oh, we don't have to do it anymore. And I was like, wait a minute. Like if I can lock the viewer, behind each of their monitors and like never let them leave i was like maybe that will actually provoke a feeling of claustrophobia and as the mm-hmm. pandemic went on i was like it'll probably may, it may force some people to kind of like reckon with their own experiences of isolation so i was like it, it stopped being a gimmick and i started at least i convinced myself that it was more than that that it was like tied to the movie because i hate i also hate things that like aren't motivated so if, mm-hmm. it, if it didn't make sense i don't think i would have been i would have wanted to do it in the same way Right. I'm I'm curious were there ever conversations about half steps away from that conceit? You know, like what if there's yep. two cameras in there? I mean, room? well you do have you know you do have these different rooms, right? So you do cut right. to these different you can cut. In theory yeah. you have like sure, different sure. angles, even though each room but has like, the same angle. Right, right. But like you know, there there are you can there are Oh yeah, you can zoom in into something and then zoom out. Or yeah, right. exactly, exactly. I never, yeah, yeah. I never considered it. Well, you I, have like, graphics it, though. Is like a I big... knew that would help, and so like the producers and other people were, you know, they would sometimes I think get a little nervous, and and they'd be like, how how is this going to sustain people's attention? You know, at the beginning, you literally have one person acting off nothing, and I was always like, he always has the computer, like mm-hmm. he's always interacting with the computer. And so, um, in any moment, like, I feel like that created some kind of relationship in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, there were talks even through post of like, Hey, why don't, wh- what do you think about turning the text around making it like actually easy to read? And mm-hmm. I was like, I 
not to say I didn't consider it, but I, I always felt very strongly to not do that. Cause the idea is like you're behind their monitor. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, it's funny when I was screening it, I was so worried about it. And, I, and that's not to say that it, that some people literally can't get past it. I, I, I would say, I don't know, one out of 20 people I've talked to have, have, have said it was so hard to read, but I, I try to enjoy it without reading it. You get used to it in a weird way. Like, I, I don't know, like, have you ever tried to read text backwards? Like you, it's fairly easy. Someone suggested maybe we put like uh, security cameras, like little, you know, sure. CCTV yeah, yeah. kind of things like in the corners or something, just in case we had to cut. But like, I don't know, it just made it a whole hell of a lot less interesting to me to have like yeah. a backup. You're plan. like the exact opposite of me. I literally, <laughs> I was just on set a couple of days ago. We had, we had a, like a red, we were shooting with like a red Komodo or something and a Sony Venice 2. And we even had like one of these Insta360 cameras all going right. at the same time. And I still was shooting stuff on my iPhone because I was like, I was like, what if we just need something to cut away (laughs) cinematic mode? Let me just get this insert shot real quick. I'm I'm like that most of the time. Um, You know, I've shot things like rolling six cameras at the same time. Like I try to like, I try to get coverage, like no matter how many, like on a commercial, like it's a different, completely different thing. It's like, it's not my baby, right? I'm trying to, I wanted to make it awesome and I wanted to make it feel like me, but also, you know, making it for, an ad agency and a client. Sure, so sure. that's so, you know, it's just, I, I'll, I'll be like, okay, let's just in case do this. Let's just in case do that. Let's do all these different kinds of performances and diff- other angles, whatever. But like this felt very, very different than that. As a small movie, you know, we have a marketing budget, but like, I really want to try to get the word out obviously as much as possible. So one of the things we're doing is, um, you know, it's, it's, it feels ironic or hypocritical to say, but like, because the the movie, I guess, kind of comes, I wouldn't say it comes out as against social media, but it definitely tries to expose, you know, the ills of it. Um, funnily enough, we are doing a very, what I think is a really innovative TikTok campaign where we are among other things. Um, I built a, an hour long repeating piece of video that will live on TikTok live like eternally theoretically and it, it's comprised of some shots of the movie but we had other pieces of the movie that didn't make it into the movie and there's so much direct address that feels like your typical YouTube or TikTok kind of thing mm-hmm. that like we just have this great piece of content and it's weird like watching it like I, I obviously watched the whole thing it is weird but like so we're gonna hopefully launch that soon and do all these other crazy things like give people the ability to like, you know, put themselves in the room with the music that's kind of repeated and hypnotic throughout it and encourage, hopefully build a following that way. Um, but also, you know, because of the message of the movie, I don't know if you guys have seen uh, the social dilemma, which was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. That was, so, you know, it was about like all these Silicon Valley execs talking about how they would never let their children use social media and the, the inventor of the like button and all this stuff. And I was like, you know, there's, there's such a thematic overlap here that I went to their website and I just checked out who all their, um, you know, nonprofit You're about the people that are. made the social dilemma. Correct. Yes. The center for humane technology was behind that. And so like, just, I just saw who contributed to the movie or participated in some way. And I just cold emailed maybe like 16 people. I'd say eight or 10 of these nonprofits got back to me really quickly. They watched the movie. Most of them loved it. And I'm now working with like all these nonprofits to amplify the message. Like uh, we're working with uh, a a nonprofit called I speak media to do like a college tour uh, in the first quarter of next year, which I think is is going to be great. We're um, we're also working. And can I ask you a college tour? Like do you colleges pay to screen the movie? Uh, I don't know the mechanism by which that happens, but um, yeah, the, the, the nonprofit base. Uh, yeah. I, I, if I spoke about it, I really, I really are kind of ignorant about it. So the nonprofit's taking care of the whole tour. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend, but what won't change needing health insurance, United healthcare, tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. We're also working with the Organization for Social Media Safety, um, and they're a group that lobbies on Capitol Hill all the time. So there's this bill that they're lobbying for called Sammy's Law coming up, um, which would basically require large social media companies to um, enable parents to track kids, I guess, below a certain age using third-party apps. They watched the movie and they were like, would you like to screen it for Congress? And I was just like, uh, yes. They're like, well, we're going to try to set up a screening in the Capitol screening room, uh, do a Q&A after. We'll set up like meet and greets with senators. I was like, that sounds great. That's cool. crazy. That's yeah. Great. yeah. So it, a lot of outcomes I never really expected or thought about going in. Uh, it, it's just it's just really one cool. thing that Matt said that I think is really interesting is. About, you know, when you're making your first film and it's like an indie film, like what do you do to make it stand out because i think all of us when we start out as filmmakers when we get our first camera and our like i'll make it good that'll that's oh, what well, no but we're like ooh, this looks yeah. like a spielberg movie yeah. this looks like a fincher shot this looks like a you're trying to copy your favorite movies right that's why so many kids make like war movies right or like sci-fi things because right. they're like i want to do the shot that kubrick did um but then when you're actually trying to make a movie that will reach people and surprise them and affect them and feel unique it's helpful to do something different that no one's ever done before like yeah in my my movie for what it's worth it was like what we called whether this is true or not i think we thought it was true um the first movie that was open cat like it was open captioned it was in theaters and it was open captioned like you can't be deaf and go to the movies and not understand what people are saying you know like every there's no copy of that movie that exists that doesn't have captions That's on great. it and it it's, you know, about two thirds of it is in English and about a third is in sign language. So mm -hmm. if you don't hear, then you use the captions for the English. And if you don't know sign language and use the captions for sign language, we mm -hmm. kind of tried to equalize those audiences in some way. Which I suspect, I, I, I know, Orrin, you had mentioned like, oh, yeah, you know, organizations reach out every once in a while. I have many friends who know your film because of their involvement in, in the ACL community. And I bet that that hook the, the the option open caption idea is the the reason you know what i mean because it's less about that, that that exhibits like a, a an ethos that that community can get behind do you know what i mean in the same way ira that you're talking about the ideas and themes of your film social media activists can get behind right you know so it's like yes there's the the quote-unquote gimmick but you also have the goods to back it up. And then that kind of helps people follow through and show enthusiasm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was really curious. It's just anyone watching this movie. I'm still just kind of, I screened it a lot for friends and, and just to, you know, see what people thought that we, 
we, you know, we screened it at the Cinequest Film Festival. I guess that was a couple of months ago. It was so interesting to just see the reactions. Like it's, um, cause I, you know, I never know how to look at it. Like I, to me, it was, it felt art house in, in a way, but a lot of, you know, people are saying, no, this is a thriller. This is more mainstream. It's, it's going to feel everyone. Science fiction, so, right? Right, right. And I guess, yeah, I, guess I have a hard time. Right. I have a hard time, I guess, with the labels. I like want to label it something, but I'm not quite sure what it is. But um, well, what I was going to ask yeah. you is like, is that thing, is that ability to say it's the first movie that's doing this? It's um, it's the mm-hmm. first movie that like and I, Matt, and, I, and I'm curious your opinion, too, like as a movie that is kind of putting you as a feature filmmaker out there, mm-hmm. like how valuable have you found that to be? Because I, I think the novelty. Yeah. Like, I think with my movie, it was like I, and I think to what Matt, you were saying. Like, I think people, you know how in like English class, like when a teacher is like hung over or whatever, they show you Romeo and Juliet, um, at least when we were in high school. Like, it <laughs> seemed like to me, my movie is that in an ASL class when the teacher doesn't want to teach, they put on my movie. So it's like, it has like an entertainment value that also you could pass off as like educational, you know, um, to some right. degree. Um, and I, I wonder like what your experience in my movie came out like 13 years ago, but what your experience today was in terms of how helpful it was to say that, or is it first, is it entertaining? And second, is there like some interesting angle? No, I mean like, uh, yeah, I don't want the movie to come off as like some kind of like a uh, medicinal thing or like, you know, just kind of like art piece. It is like, it's a thriller. Like it's, it's a, it's a harrowing kind of journey. It's funny. Like, you know, I should also, I haven't said who's in it. Um, so it's, um, Melvin Gray, Greg is the lead actor. Uh, he's he's amazing. Your whole your the performances in your movie are really incredible. I, I've seen it. Yeah, thanks. They they you know I I was blown away by them every day. So Melvin is the lead, um, and then um, Bradley Whitford uh, is incredible in it. West Wing and you know won three Emmys I guess now West Wing and um, Transparent and um, and oh yeah Handmaid's Tale. So he was amazing. Um, Alisi Braga, who's phenomenal. People might know her from Queen of the South or, you know, a bunch of movies that she's been in. Uh, and Danielle Campbell, who um, kind of, I don't want to spoil it, but she has a pivotal role. But she was incredible, too. So it's, uh, yeah, I was blown every day. I would drive home, just be like, I can't believe how good these performances are. And can I ask you another question? So I don't, I'm not sure our viewers, underst- or viewers, our listeners understand at this point, but it's these people that are stuck in these different rooms, but they're all kind of based on the same room. And you could have done what Cube did, the famous Canadian movie that built one set, but dressed it to be like hundreds of different sets. You decided to build three sets instead that were identical. Right. Yes. I mean, so, and people had suggested that, you know, I'd, I'd say what I was planning on doing, like, that's a waste of money. Um, just build one set, have them act and then i was like and who were they acting against like oh you're ad and i was just like <laughs> no yeah i i, I, I don't, I don't know if, your script supervisor yeah. will read you know what i mean read the yeah. lines yeah. while timing it but like, it's so honestly, brutal though they're just like yeah. i mean look you've probably done um, it on commercials right and seen how actors react to that so imagine me asking bradley whitford to like act alone in a room with like a script supervisor my script supervisor, Jesse West, is amazing, but still, she, you know, it's, it's not. Having come out of the pandemic, too. You're like, yes, it's a, it's a chance for you to right. act again. Get ready. Exactly. Bradley. And then it's like, no, no, no. Just in a warehouse somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Aside from the, just the pitch pitching part, it's like there's something magic that happens when actors interact. And also the timing of it. And like there would just ne- it, I, I really think the performances would have been at least. 30 to 40% worse. Like I, I don't see how. Yeah, And the pitching part, I think yeah. you can't underplay that. And by that, you mean right. pitching the role to actors, right? Exactly. Yeah, convincing yeah. actors to do it. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And, and a, because a big part of it was like, this is, will feel like theater, a really weird, weird theater piece, but it will feel like theater. And I think it did. Can I ask you two technical questions? Sure. One. So you have uh, Melvin Bragg is kind of the lead. And then Bradley Whitford has a pretty good, Pretty big role. How many days did you have Bradley for? We had Bradley, I think, for five days total. Five days. And then how many days of shooting did you have? 12, 12 shooting oh, days. Okay. And gotcha. so we, pre, we pre-lit everything. Like sure. every lighting cue was already preset. Oh, wow. The cameras never moved. You know, so like everything, walls are moving and things like that. Like we, we figured all that stuff out ahead of time. And like we all our time was shooting. What was your page count like? Like how much... 
Uh, like how much are you rolling at that point? The script right? was about a hundred pages. So I guess we were about eight pages a day. Gotcha. But on, on yeah. a related note, what my, what my stepdad always says is like, I just don't know how these actors memorize all the lines. Like, right. But, and normally I'm like, dude, they do two lines at a time. What are you talking about? Um, but in your movie, yeah. they're doing like 10 minutes of acting at a time. How do you like, do they ever mess up? Sure. I mean, you know, um, I think a lot of, I had maybe certain expectations of being off book and, and some people were uh, more than others, but like we looked we certainly stopped. I would, you know, if, if it was a long scene, I was like, let's just tackle the first minute and we would do that. And then like, especially if people were getting tripped up by things, we did yeah. a lot of takes. Like I, I, I always do a lot of takes. Um, but like, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely trying. Like it's, um, it was it was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be going in. Coming from uh, the, a world where you're living in thirty or fifteen seconds mm-hmm. to doing these long takes, right? Yeah. Like these long scenes. What did you notice that was different about your process? Sure. Like, did you what 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 dawned on you in mid right. mid journey? So, like, I've always been drawn to even in commercials, long takes like I have some commercials that are literally just one long shot. I don't know like, if you remember the like the Jay Farrow thing I did where yes. it's like a, you know, I'm like moving through. So I was always I, like we did 70 something takes of that, I think, until, you know, we got it right. Um, I've always like it's, it's the challenge, I think, of doing a lot of the things. So that that excites me. So, like, I've, I've always been drawn to that. Um, what I think was interesting to realize is. And I didn't know this even through the first round of edit, like, and I, it's something I'm going to take into my next movie. Like I was so worried about this movie being boring that I rushed things. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I let things mm-hmm. breathe a little longer. I always did a take like performance wise. You're talking about performance wise. Yeah. Just like letting a moment sit. Like I'm so <laughs> with commercials. It's always like things have to just, just go. Right. And it's about being efficient. And with movies, I feel like, you got like, uh, uh, thank God, like I, I always would do a take where I would just like let it breathe. And a lot of times that's what ended up in the that's movie. The one. That's yeah. The one. Um, yeah. So like it was, I was really, cause like I was so nervous. I was like, literally the only thing at my disposal is blocking. I was like, that is the only thing I have. I have to like create close-ups and wide shots just by with blocking. So um, I was always very, very nervous about that. And, and if you watch the first cut of the movie, it, it's just like, so fast you have you can't digest anything and i was just like i literally opened up every single edit and like just just let it breathe did you edit the movie yourself Myra? yes it was it was an arduous process but um yeah it's weird i guess it's like all of you know all directors are control freaks i guess in some respect but like but you take the cake (laughs) really (laughs) i win of everyone you've ever interviewed uh no i'm just kidding but you do you do like to to have the entire control of the whole process, which I totally get. This was my first movie. So I'm used to being on set and having, you know, a creative director, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes literally standing with me. That's like one of my new things. I'm just like, I hate going back and forth to mm-hmm. village. I just feel like it wastes so much time. So it's like, if I have a good relationship with someone, I'm like, just stand with me. And then it's like, but I was going to say like having someone in my ear, like, can we do it again like this? Can we try this? Can we do, you know, just the freedom that this movie afforded was just incredible. Like the feeling, like the feeling of total creative freedom was just unbelievable. The beginning of the movie is actually the thing that I edited, you know, more times than anything. Cause it was like, I've got to get someone on board. Right. Like I was, I was just like, Am I losing people? Like, are there too many scenes of computer input? Is not enough happening? And I think there were. Um, and so I think I ended up, there were three, like, see, bigger, longer input scenes at top because you kind of have to get used to the system. It's like the audience and the character is learning the system at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I, it was just too much. And so I remember, like, taking some out and putting it back in. I'd, like, show my wife and she'd be like, I, I don't. I don't think it's totally, you, you totally get it. And I'm just like, I don't think I need everyone to totally get it. Like I, I would almost rather than be like, this is interesting. I'm a little confused. I don't conf- completely get everything, but you'll get it five minutes later. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Ride the wave a little. So, bit. Interesting. yeah. So there's like, definitely the movie's not pandering. I can say that like it's, and, and there's going to be some people who are just like, 
I, I this is not my kind of movie. But I think for some people, they'll they'll really like it. How did you get it greenlit and made and budgeted and all that yeah. stuff? So um, we ended up finding uh, producers of Traveling Picture Show, uh, Carissa Buffell and Kevin Matiso. Um, they also do commercials. Um, and I had known them from that world. And you have your own company, right? You weren't repped by any commercial companies. Correct. I, I was with the company years ago. I, you know, been asked by some really great places. I just... I like being in control of my career uh, in a lot of different ways. Like, you know, I have my own company, which I direct through and I love to produce through. And, you know, we're doing a campaign right now. We're like produced it, directed it. I'm editing everything, doing all the, you know, I'm not like doing color and sound, but I'm like, you know, kind of overseeing everything. Yeah. Um, And so, yes, but I'll I'll also direct for like any other company, you know, like I'm still Mm -hmm. just like freelancing as a director for other production companies. What's your company called again? wave maker creative yeah and so yeah uh so i'll work that way but anyway um so traveling picture show um carissa was actually she produced a couple um commercials for me during the pandemic and we were just at lunch and i was like hey i've got this script i'm trying to get made she's like send it to me and i sent it to her and you know she and uh her husband partner uh kevin you know they called pretty quickly and they were like we think this is great we'd love to try to find money and do it and um you know, to their, like, I thank God that they were just like, yeah, you can do it the way you want to do it. Did you have a number in your mind? I think they, they budgeted it. Um, and we went over it and it was a no frills kind of thing. But, um, I was just like, I just want to get this thing made. And, um, it, it was enough. And like the actors, you know, they certainly did not get anything near, uh, what they're used to. Everybody kind of, you know, did it for the love. And, um, when you budgeted it, was the, like was it cast contingent like if we get this actor this is the budget if we get this actor this is the budget it was never that uh actually we set a start date with like no one attached um the the money was not contingent and so we had a really amazing um we you know we had an actress lined up she fell out you know like there were definitely a lot of like there was it was a saga along the way um but it all like we cast like Alisi Braga gives like such an incredible performance in my opinion. And like, we cast her two days before we started filming. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't believe how lucky I was. Like I, sometimes I guess things just work out. I mean, they could have not, but like, I literally felt like the, this cast was. Perfect. But sometimes you can get an actor two days from now because they have nothing going on, but it's much harder to get them two yeah. months from now because they don't know. if exactly. have something going on. I don't know. We'll see. Yes. Like, yeah, if you if you're casting them two days in advance of them shooting, they know this is the only offer, <laughs> right? So it's either do you want to work or do you want to hang right. out? You know, I mean, I was literally almost like ripping my hair out. Like we would be prepping, and I'd be every like hour, I'd be like, so who who are we out to now? Like you know, like has this person read it yet? And um, yeah, like just thinking of the other permutations and combinations of cast that could have, it could have been. I I got I got very lucky. Can you tell us about yeah. Bradley Whitford? Like how you got him, what you said to him. I'm a big believer in like triangulating these relationships. You know, you have your casting director go out, you have like an agent, and then you have try to find some sort of personal relationship, like a director that's worked yeah, with yeah. them before or an actor, someone that yeah. can put in a good word for you. You DM sure. someone who also follows him on Instagram that follows right. you. Yeah. So interestingly, like, uh, yeah. So we wrote the part for Mark Maron. Um, uh, I'm a big WTF fan and I'd listened to the podcast and he just like seemed like the perfect person for the role. So we wrote the role for him and we sent it to him to read. Um, he passed, but his agent thankfully loved it. And his agent reps Bradley Whitford and said, Hey, do you, what do you think about Bradley? I was like, what do I think about Bradley Whitford? Like he's incredible. Right. Yes, please. Uh, and he immediately responded to it. And Interesting. It was, Wait, so did you, when you sent it to Mark Marin, was there any other, like, I'm a huge WTF fan? Or? Sure. And I had actually directed Mark in a couple of promos for his show Marin, like the first oh, two seasons. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but he, you know, for whatever reason, didn't want to do it. And uh, yeah, it got to Bradley. Do you mind uh, hanging out with us and endorsing something? I would love to. Unpaid endorsements. My first one is the general idea of using telehealth or teledocs 
Ord, have you ever done this before? Or I and I were talking about this before. I have done it. So astute listeners might notice that I'm a little congested. No, no, it's got your back. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to clean me up. But basically, through my insurance, it's free to just like essentially FaceTime a doctor. I like literally like talked them through my symptoms, like literally pointed the camera down my throat to make sure that I didn't have like tonsillitis or whatever. And like they gave me a diagnosis literally like within 10 minutes of deciding to go to the doctor. And as a person who, you know, you live far away, you've got your, your life is very busy. If the choice was between like calling an office, booking an appointment, driving to a doctor's office, then going to a pharmacy to get medication or not, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. You know what I mean? I just suffer through it. Especially when you have something kind of standard like a cold. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think telehealth is specifically good for like... The common stuff. The common stuff when you know like, oh, do I need to go to see a specialist or do I need antibiotics basically? Or or over-the-counter stuff. What should I do? Um, and so it's been great. I've used it a couple times. I'm dealing with more viruses now that my kid is bringing them home from from daycare so yeah it's just like uh that freaking notary thing right notarize notarize yeah the online notary it's online doctors i think i used that to sign the contracts for the movie actually that was the first time i've ever used it it's pretty cool you recognize yeah. my impression of the notarize guy <laughs> no i'm sorry notarize <laughs> man it's like an, an audience of one will get that reference i've used it like five Noah. times and i don't even get it no base sure knows what i'm talking about when you <laughs> <laughs> something about the audio check they have that guy just like saying notarize very it always cracks me up next time you sign something through notarize.com i will i will definitely notice it the next time yeah, yeah. like the arby's guy saying notarize <laughs> so my my second endorsement is uh an episode of the daily uh, which is the new york times podcast uh there's the sunday read is the genius behind hollywood's most indelible sets and it's a deep dive about a production designer named Jack Fisk, who most recently designed on Killers of the Flower Moon, but he was Terrence Malick's designer. He did There Will Be Blood. And he's kind of famous for being really dogmatic about his historical recreations. And he's all about building 360-degree sets. Like, like he's literally, the guy, like, Days of Heaven, he built the house out in the wheat field. Like... It's really inspiring and really it reminds you of like the sort of work I always aspired to do. Like the dream is to be like, oh, I'm going to take six months and like dig into the research and literally build the sets myself. And yeah, that's like the guy that made Witch, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that that sort of mentality. He has a carpentry background and then was a fine artist who like just kind of was in LA at the right time, like hanging out with like David Lynch and Terrence Malick. And now he's married to Sissy Spacek. And anyway, he's it's a like real a pretty... Jesus slash Harrison Ford. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So the Sunday read the genius behind Hollywood's most indelible sets. It's an hour long, 52 minutes actually. And it's great. It's really great. Ira, what do you got? So this is not exactly a new thing, but it's new to me. Um, so I just shot a campaign couple weeks ago and worked with uh, the DP Jaron Prezant. Um, if you guys don't know him, he was like, he's this been the second unit DP on like every Ryan Johnson movie. Um, and he shot Joseph Gordon-Levitt's show for uh, Apple TV. Uh, I think it's called Mr. Corman and some poker face episodes. He's, he's a really talented guy. Um, but he pulls out this thing on set and I'm like, what is this? Uh, it's called Artemis Prime. Um, a lot of us probably have used like Artemis or Artemis Pro app uh, on set and, you know, kind of lining up shots uh, as a viewfinder. But this is, takes it a, a, a step further. It's basically like a housing for your iPad that also accepts, um, I think, PL mounts and Panavision mounts. And so you actually can like take the actual lenses that you're using on the set, attach it to your iPad to kind of previs things like pretty quickly. So like we used it and I was like, this is amazing. We were, you know, as we were lighting, we were just lining up every shot we were planning. And on you had doing. the lenses from the, your shoot at your tech scout. No, this is on the shoot. Oh, oh, oh. so it's like, we, we kind of, we, we scouted with just regular Artemis 
But then it was like, okay, let's see what it actually looks like with these lenses. How big is it? Is there like a ground glass or something? How does it work? It's it it doesn't feel like it's much bigger than the profile of the um, of the iPad. It juts out in front of it a little bit more, but um, it's not as unwieldy as you would think. I mean, look, if you're shooting with like what's that giant Canon lens? Like the Optimo twenty four. Yeah, the Optimo. Yeah, like then yeah, you're you're screwed. But like. If you're using regular, you know, most most normal lenses, it'll be fine. And it's nice just because you can still walk around with it and kind exactly. of like figure it out together. That's yeah. cool. That's great. Yeah. And does that. it transform into a giant semi truck? <laughs> um, I think that's then the uh, the next version. Optimus. Yeah. Um. Awesome. That's so cool, Kaplan. What I'm you curious, got? real quick. Do you so oh, do you, is this the first time you worked with that DP? It's the first time I've worked with him in, I think, seven years because like I filmed a we we shot. What was it? It was like a Bravo promo. Um, and then mm, he went mm, off Bravo. and just did like series after movie after series. And, you know, because of the strikes, people are mm-hmm. a little more available now. Mm-hmm. Uh, hope, hopefully soon to end for everybody. But um, yeah, not are you um? Do you try to shoot with the? Do you shoot with like a new DP every job, or what's your philosophy no, on that? I I mean, there's a bunch of guys that I like to work with. Rotate between them. A lot of time, you know, a lot of times people are busy, so you know, I'm, I'm, I'll always submit depending on the project. Like these three people are appropriate for the job. Sometimes you know the agency likes to weigh in too, but um, I have like a handful of people that I like to work with a lot. That's cool. I'm going to mention a DP I have worked with a lot in the past. His name is Yuki Naguchi. Every time I mention his name, he sends me $5 on Venmo. I don't know if I told you about this. Or not. <laughs> but what the heck, Yuki? He told me I, that it's like promotion I work with Yuki Naguchi too. <laughs> and I'm at Ira yeah. Rosenzweig on Venmo. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, awesome. Okay, so mine, my endorsements. I have one unendorsement, if I may. Mm. It is a Trader Joe's product. We had it tonight. <laughs> it is the vegetarian meatless cheeseburger pizza. Oh. It's topped with cheddar cheese, plant-based burger-style crumbles, burger sauce, and a smattering of pickles. It looked amazing on the box. Yeah. I always buy like... I was making, for listeners who are unaware, I was making a very rude stink face at Oregon. You- and I was like, what? Why would you buy this? Well, it looks, look at it. If you Google it, it looks good. I always buy like one of our standard pizzas. I know the whole family will like, and then I'll try like a weird one. Or this was a new one. I eat meat. My wife doesn't. And I thought this, you know, it says on the box, it tastes exactly like a cheeseburger. And if you close your eyes and take a bite and think (laughs) of a cheeseburger, it does kind of taste like a cheeseburger, but it, it doesn't make for a great pizza. And my kids were like mad at me when I got home today. They're like, why'd you buy that pizza? It's got pickles on it, which my kids love pickles, but I guess that is a weird thing to have on a pizza. So I guess, I guess my question is what, what qualifies this prod product as an endorsement? No, it's an unendorsed. I sometimes oh, I, I, unendorse okay. I see. I see. Got it. Okay. All right. So anyway, yeah. you can try it. I'm curious to know what you all think. My endorsement, it's like an obvious one, but we've never really talked about it on the show is I just used shot with a, one of those Insta 360 cameras. We use the Leica version. It's like it has a big sensor, one inch sensor. Oh, and interesting. it's, we shot, so we kind of previs the whole shoot on it during our tech scout. And it was just me and the DP and he just holds this 360 camera and we basically, re, you know, you can reframe it in post. So we're kind of like trying to find the shot approximately, but then and he took it and you're not to the computer and he finds the angle. And we did actually use it for the, the actual shoot too because first of all it shoots 6k shots but you know it's a 360 degree shot so once you reframe it you're getting like 1080p but we used it we had these doorbell sh- or these peephole shots you know where the camera like pushes into the peephole and then we transition into this we had, we had a 12 millimeter lens but we shot with a 360 camera and it was even better because it's like you can basically see the door <laughs> that the camera is in front of and everyone standing in front of the door it, they're really cool how did you use it on the tech scout? The DP would just like move it like approximately where we think our camera might move. Right. And then in post, he kind of found the angles. There's no other way to get this shot other than the way he did. I mean, there maybe is a super complicated yeah. way to do it, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. he shot this shot by himself and it's his feet on a skateboard 
going down the Venice boardwalk and then the, the camera goes through his legs. Wait, so how did how did the camera go through? He has it. It's on a stick. So he has it in front of him and then he puts it through his legs through his and legs. then he brings okay, it back. Right, and right. in post, he reframes it to like point forward. But the stick that's holding the camera, they call it the invisible selfie stick because the software like stitches the 360 oh, wow. video right around the stick area so you don't see the stick. So you can get like people do a lot of like simulated drone shots with them because you can put them high up in the air on the stick and it, the software deletes the stick and it just looks like a drone is following you and they're super yeah. wide angle. So it's a, it's a really cool tool. They're like five or 600 bucks. Um, and I really, uh, I really enjoyed playing with it and you can kind of preview it on your phone, like in real time. Okay. Well, Ira, if people want to find out more about you or your movie, what do, what do they do? Uh, you can go to irarosenswag.com, but if you want to find out more about the movie, um, the mo- the, we're actually building the site right now, but hopefully it will be up by the time this comes out. It's will-u-share.com. And uh, social media will probably be at willyoushare on TikTok or Instagram. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram at, I- at Ira Rosenswag. And you want to spell that for us? I-R-A-R-O-S-E-N-S-W-E-I-G. No Z's. No Z's. Cool, because you won't put anyone to sleep. That's his motto. <laughs> there, there you go. It'll be on like Apple TV and Amazon and uh, Vudu and Google. Google's the other one. Yeah, so November 10th. Awesome. Well, congrats on the film. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming back. You can find our podcast at Just Shoot a Pod across all social media. You can email us. Uh, tell us if you have any comments or thoughts about what Ira said or what we said. We're at JustChewedPod at gmail.com. But yeah, you can find me. I'm at O Kaplan on social media. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow on all social media, especially Letterboxd. This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. Produced by Tyler Small. Thanks, Tyler. And you're listening to music provided by the Fee Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 